Episode 3, Steps of Self-Stigma. So, hello and welcome back to the third episode of my Self-Stigma podcast series. In the last episode, I covered and kind of reiterated the causes of self-stigma. I also talked about how social stigma correlated to self-stigma, and um, I kind of jumped the gun a little, and I described the steps of self-stigma, which I plan on getting more into in this episode. Um, I'm going to be referencing a journal that I read online quite a lot in this episode specifically, titled Self-Stigma in People with Mental Illness, written by Amy Watson, Patrick Corrigan, Jonathan Larson, and Molly Sells. Um, Before I begin with the steps of self-stigma, I also wanted to introduce in this episode about how people perceive stigma in different ways. Of course, not everybody perceives stigma in the same way. Some are empowered by it, which I'm going to get into, and others, of course, are... They internalize it, they start isolating themselves from society, which kind of ties into self-stigma. Although self-stigma is the focus of my project, I would like to paint another picture, like I want to show the other side, to you, the listener, about the positives of stigma and how people can overcome it, and kind of how, just basically the positives. Without further ado, um, I'd like to begin with how people interpret it differently. So, referring back to the journal, some people react to stigma by becoming energized and empowered while others remain relatively indifferent and unaffected. Research on empowerment in persons with mental illness has illustrated alternative responses. This research represents empowerment and self-stigma as opposite poles on a continuum. At the negative end, there are people who are unable to overcome negative expectations and stereotypes about mental illness. They have low self-esteem and little confidence in their future success. These are the self-stigmatized. At the positive end are persons with psychiatric disabilities who, despite this disability, have positive self-esteem and are not significantly encumbered by public stigma, or social stigma in this case. Instead, they seem to be energized by the stigma to empowerment. So what does this mean? I don't want to just throw these excerpts out here for you to just listen to. I want to discuss them, of course. So what does this mean? So basically, um, in summary, what this journal and what these authors are saying is that um, stigma doesn't always necessarily lead to... um, isolationism and all those awful symptoms, to say the least, for lack of a better term as well. Um, Some people are empowered by stigma. Some people say, I have a mental illness, so I'm a little challenged, but I can do way better than somebody without a mental illness or whatever. It empowers them, it gives them confidence, it gives them self-esteem, it gives them, it gives them a boost of energy, I guess. Um, So that's the positive side. Those who cannot overcome self-stigma, um, excuse me, those who can't overcome stigma kind of resort to self-stigma. They don't feel like they can beat their expectations. They don't feel like they can break the barrier of their expectations. back a little on what I just said, um, I also wanted to reiterate that some 
like the journal says, are relatively indifferent and unaffected. So, what does this mean, specifically? Some people with mental illness think that they're not different than other people, and they're right. I mean, I don't think they're different than other people, but it's up to interpretation, and some people just think they're on equal terms with people that don't have mental illness, and they're simply unaffected by stigma. They're just like, well, whatever, basically. Um, to put it in the least amount of words possible. I also wanted to include this part from the journal as well. The more aware of social stigma a person is, the less he or she perceives it as legitimate. Stigma awareness was not correlated in the experiment they did. So, yeah. Um, that's kind of their quote right there. So, public stigma, or social stigma, I apologize, um, social stigma in this case, um, the more aware somebody is of it, the more they perceive it as legitimate. So, the more aware of the public opinion someone is, the more, um, willing they are to think that it's true, of course. And that ties into self-stigma, that's how it kind of all starts, um, to go off the diagram I saw in the journal on the website. So, it's a little hard to explain the steps without showing you the diagram, or it is at least for me. It's a little difficult, but I will do my best to explain it. So, their hypothesis to begin with before they even started the experiment, and it was kind of proven true. Um, let me begin. It starts with group identification and perceived legitimacy. And that leads to stereotype awareness, which leads to stereotype agreement, which leads to self-concurrence. And these lead to self-esteem and self-efficacy decreasing. So, what does all that that I just said mean? What are all these terms? What's, what's everything I'm talking about right now? And I don't blame you, because this is a lot of lingo. Again, um, group identification is like, I kind of think of it as almost like an intervention between people who have um, the same mental illness. It's kind of like a group, um, you kind of group yourself with other people. Um, in some cases you talk about it, in some cases it's just like, um, I identify with this kind of group. I identify with this kind of mental illness in this case. So that kind of leads to it. Um, perceived legitimacy, I kind of got into this a little bit before, but perceived legitimacy is, um, like, how legitimate you think the public opinion is of the mental illness you have in this case. And then I kind of, (laughs) I kind of mentioned this in the last episode, but, um, here's the big old three steps of this whole thing. Stereotype awareness. So, of course, I think that speaks for itself, but just to clarify a little, you have to be aware of the stereotype of your mental illness, um, of course. You have to be aware of the stereotype before you start internalizing it and agreeing with the stereotype. And that's actually the next step. Stereotype agreement. So you start agreeing with the stereotype, and then, after that, self-concurrence. You see yourself as that stereotype. You start internalizing all these, um, ideas about the stereotype, and you apply them to yourself. 
and you just internalize them. And of course, like I said before, this leads to the decrease of self-esteem. People start making excuses because they can't go to work, they can't do this, they can't do that because they have a mental illness and they are um, negatively impacted, I guess. Um, let me rephrase that a little. I apologize. Um, people make excuses because their mental illness is their identity. Um, like I said in the previous example, I believe, um, let's say I have schizophrenia. So stereotype awareness is like, say the stereotype is that people with schizophrenia are dangerous, of course. And, um, then I start agreeing with that stereotype, which means like, I, I think I am dangerous. And so, um, with self-esteem, I don't really have high self-esteem if I think I'm dangerous. I identify only with my mental illness. I don't, it's like, I'm not even a person anymore. I'm just my mental illness and it, it eats at me. It just devours me and it's destructive. I can't do this because I'm dangerous and people with schizophrenia are dangerous and I can't work and I can't go outside because I'm going to be dangerous and violent. Um, going off of that little tangent I had, I apologize, but, um, I wanted to clarify a little things. Going off of this tangent, um, self-efficacy. Um, self-efficacy is kind of like self-determination. That's the way I think of it because efficacy is... An interesting word to me, but I think of it as self-determination. So that kind of ties into my um, little tangent I had before. You're not determined to do anything. You're not determined to change anything because you think, you think, why try? This is how it is. Why try? I have schizophrenia, so I'm dangerous. What am I going to do about that? Nothing. So that's kind of the thought process behind it. That's the thought process of people with self-stigma. Of course... Um, this isn't, this isn't necessarily the case for everybody. People can get self-stigma in different ways, but this is the most common way, and this is the way I wanted to tackle, um, specifically in this episode, because it's the most common, of course, and it's the most prominent in people with mental illness. So, with that, I think I've covered most of everything that I wanted to talk about in this episode. Next episode, I think I will... I think in the next episode... Excuse me. Um, I think that I'm going to be... I think I'll attempt to further talk about how people perceive stigma differently. I think I've done a rather decent job of explaining it in this episode, but if possible, I want to go more in-depth into it in the next episode, maybe clarify a few things, um, and so I want to figure out how people perceive it differently from the previous examples I've stated and stuff like that, and I want to focus on self-stigma specifically. Um, what I was referring to throughout this episode was how people perceive stigma, more or less. I want to understand how people perceive self-stigma, and I know that it's rather one-sided, or it seems one-sided, but I would like to see if it's truly one-sided or if I'm just missing a piece of the puzzle, and I would like to share that with you, the listener, of course, because I feel like this is a learning experience for both me and you. So, without further ado, thank you for listening to this episode, and goodbye! <laughs>